Hello and welcome to the Movie Chef podcast where we make a meal out of movies and you are joining us for a very special episode. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Ryan Green all the way from sunny, sunny LA. Is it sunny over there? Let's just have a quick look out the window. It's always sunny in LA really, isn't it? It's hot and sunny. That it is. It's a nice, beautiful day out there. So we got talking on Twitter, didn't we? And I watched your uh, YouTube video, which we're going to come on to in a minute. But if you just want to tell everyone a bit about yourself, about your love of film, what it is you do, go for it. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first off, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here to talk with you. And uh, yeah, so I've always been very passionate about film and movies uh, ever since I was very, very young. And, you know, when I got older and I was trying to decide on a career path, I immediately said, I want to work in film. Okay. And over time, as I, you know, did small things by myself, I realized my main love was being an editor. And I love putting, you know, clips and pieces of a film together to tell a story, which is really the main reason why I really wanted to be involved with film is because I feel like telling stories and entertaining people is one of the greatest callings you can have in life. And uh, it's just a magical thing to me. So and, you're, you're a student at, at the minute at the uh, Los Angeles Film School, is that right? Yes, and I was actually just going to get to that. Um, yeah, I enrolled in the Los Angeles Film School uh, later last year and i've been working towards i've been working in it ever since towards a degree in film production okay and is that the ultimate career goal then do you want to be is, is, is it editing you want to get into is it the producing side of making movies what's if somebody said here's your dream job what would it be without a doubt you are correct i would love to be a professional editor in the movie business I've tried editing in the past. My I studied a degree in um, the UK in film studies and creative writing, so it was more the script writing and writing the proposals and the pictures to, to the films. And then uh, I was one of those that didn't really want to hand the script off to anybody, like the editors and the cameramen, because they just went and did their own thing. We had all sorts of different people at the university, and film editing is it, it's an art form in itself, isn't it? it Somebody once told me you probably need to spend about an hour to edit a minute of footage. Is that roughly right? Or would you say it's longer than that, depending on the scene? I think you're being very generous. I have spent anywhere from one to two, sometimes three hours on one scene. And this is actually um, one of the things that I do as an editor. And it actually also goes along with what you were saying is I actually try to work very closely with the directors, the producers, anyone involved. I will edit a scene. I will have them look at it and say, tell me any changes you want to make. Tell me anything you may want to do differently. And which corresponds with your vision. That's one of the big things with me is I like to work with other people. I mean, yes, I can work alone. I can put a film together, but I also feel there's more, there's more, a level of art when you're working with other people and getting another person's vision and bringing that to life. It's more collaborative. It's different pieces of puzzle coming together to, to make the whole as opposed to one person just saying, do it this way and go off and deliver my dream. Exactly. Yes. And again, I, I, some people I were at college with, I never really understood it until I started studying film more and more. And some people are very sort of rhythmic in their editing. They use music to edit the scenes and, and keep that sort of, keep the, keep the scene flowing in, in line with the music. Or some people do it in terms of atmosphere. Do you, do you have anything in your mind when you go into editing a scene? Do you think about the music? Do you think about the story? What, what sort of influences you on how you edit something? Well, first and foremost for me is the story. I will look at every take, every shot that the director and the producers and the rest of the crew have put together. And I will actually log and say, okay, I think this take is really good because this person says it this way, or the actor did this kind of performance. They had a lot more passion or they did a little bit of improv or they had some kind of a movement of sorts and then I'll put that together in the first, and I, once I have the scenes laid out, I will be making sure that the story is flowing because that's the most important thing is making sure the story is right. After that, I will throw music in, I'll put in sound effects, but to me, those are secondary when compared to the story that is trying to be told. 
when it comes to so we mentioned before that you did um i saw your youtube film trespasser um absolutely cracking we did um we did a, an episode god many moons ago now on fan films on the internet and i didn't actually find yours at one point i wish i had because we would have been talking about it then but it's very much a hom- homage to jurassic park isn't it the um the franchise in a whole it's a, it, it feels very spielberg into in fact you tell us about it it feels like you build intention through the whole story but if you tell us about your your film okay So with Trespasser, that was actually a project that I did at the Los Angeles Film School. It was for my class on production, and they told me that we want you all to make a short film. And once they said it can be any, it can be on anything you want. You know, practically, of course, you know, it has to be practical. It can't be a big budget film, but we want you to do, be as creative as you can, do whatever you want. And the moment they said that, it clicked with me because I had actually just watched uh, Colin Trevorrow's short film, Battle at Big Rock, which takes place in the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World universe. And I said, you know what? Maybe I can make a film like that. And Battle at Little Big Rock, it's set in um, a campsite, sort of, is it like in Yellowstone or some sort of national park? And there's a, the caravan there with the, the recreational vehicle. And well, I won't say anything about it because I actually think it's really good fun to watch that. But I, I get where you're coming from in that sense of can you bring a story down to, it's like a bottle episode almost. Can you bring one story in one incident in one small little part of the whole country rather than looking at it from a whole? And that's what I loved about Trespasser as well. You, you, find the core of what you want to tell in the story and just use that. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have dinosaurs crashing through the windows and people getting eaten and all sorts of stuff. So it's very clever. That's what caught my eye about it. Very clever. in what. And did your love of Jurassic Park come out of that then? Did you think, right, I, I like Jurassic Park. And then did you develop that further? Or have we always loved the franchises and, and the films in themselves? I have been a Jurassic Park fan since the first film was released. I've always loved dinosaurs. My father got me into it. And we saw Jurassic Park together for the first time in 1993. And from then on, I was absolutely hooked. And it's without a doubt, one of my favorite franchises. And I've always, I have a lot of Jurassic Park memorabilia, a lot of Jurassic Park fanfare. I'm wearing my Jurassic Park 25th anniversary t-shirt from Universal Studios as we speak. And yeah, it's, it's something from my childhood that I've held on to and am proud to be a fan of. I was nine when that came out over here and we went to a cinema in Leeds in Yorkshire. Um, go to London and head north and when it gets dark, you've hit it. And I remember the T-Rex scene. Everyone, you know, everyone remembers that. And that my head was buried in the in the seats of the cinema. My dad was next to me making sure I was all right. And I, I was terrified, nine years old, and I'm terrified. And... It's absolute genius because when I when you look back at that film, there's probably what is it twenty minutes of dinosaurs. You know, it's very minimal. Into it's all about the story and the character and what's going on on this island. It's not about the spectacle. I've, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling there, but lost. So the lost world. What? Um, where do you sit on that side? I mean, obviously you're a fan, but where would you sit on the side of the fence for the lost world? Because some people, it's got its critics. Well, the first thing I will say about The Lost World, and this is usually something that people will say about any movie that this falls under, the book is better. Right, yeah. <laughs> I get that. Our Cormac that's on this show, he, uh, anytime I mention Game of Thrones, he's one of those, have you read the books? You haven't read all the books. And when, the, when they were coming up to the finish, he's like, well, if you'd have read the books, you'd understand what's going on. Yeah, so I know that. I know that type. And he's... Uh, it's still very much uh, faithful to the book, though, isn't it? The Lost World, um, going on to island, the Island B and taking the T-Rex back off. It's still sort of fairly faithful, isn't it? Uh, yes and no. The book does. The book is, of course, very different. Um, Spielberg, as I understand it, Steven Spielberg, put a lot of his own uh, filmmaking ideas into that film, especially with the whole hunters and gatherers theme of the story. And the thing is, I actually think The Lost World's a great movie. I did uh, the other day. Yeah, it still holds up. I think the last twenty minutes. We'll come on to that when we talk about Fallen Kingdom. But sorry, I interrupted you. Not at all. I was actually just going to say that my favorite scene, actually, from the entire Jurassic franchise, is in the Lost World. 
It's the ending scene where we see all the dinosaurs, the T-Rex, the Stegosaurs, the Pteranodons, all living on the island in peace. And, you know, the Pteranodon screeches at the screen. And I'm, that was honestly, for me, the first time I had ever seen realistic dinosaurs in the wild. This was before Walking with Dinosaurs. This was before all the other documentaries. And to me, seeing that real, di- like real looking dinosaurs living in the world, it was amazing to me. And I, that's why that's still my favorite scene in the whole franchise. I suppose the, I mean, obviously for children, they're dinosaurs, real life monsters. You're never going to see one and it's a monster, but you know, it's really, you know, it's the, it's that kind of fascination with the, you know, the brutal and the mythical. But for me, the draw of watching Jurassic Park is seeing humans interact with these animals. They're not just monsters that have been released from a crack in the earth or dropped from the sky. These are actual real things. And the whole questions about should they be brought back? Should you play God if you could do it? Would you do all these kind of questions it raises? Going to the second one, like you said, the the hunter-gathering piece. For me, my favourite piece of Lost World is the raptor attack, the raptor sequence where they, they're heading towards the compound. And comparing that with Jurassic Park 3, I can, again, I can understand why it's criticised as much, but I, I still enjoy Jurassic Park 3. But I watched them two back back to back, and I realised there was just no building of tension in 3 as there was in the other two. It was just straight bang into the story, and maybe that's what you needed after three movies. What's your, what's your feeling on 3? Where Again, where do you sit with that one? So... Being a fan, I know a lot about the production details. Okay. Given, uh, given my own uh, love for film, I actually really enjoy looking at the production of films and reading the stories about how production goes. And I'm one of those people who knows Jurassic Park 3 had a very troubled production, a uh, troubled pre-production, so to speak. Right. So... Um, I know that there was a lot of, there were issues with that film, that they had trouble shooting the film and what have you. So that's why I understand there are story problems with Jurassic Park 3 and why I'm not as in love with Jurassic Park 3 as uh, Jurassic Park in the Lost World. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, I'm with you. I do enjoy Jurassic Park 3. I think it is still a very good film for what it is. I did enjoy it when I first saw it. And most importantly, uh, Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, is one of my favorite characters. So the fact that they got Sam Neill to return to that role for Jurassic Park 3 was the huge draw for me. And I was not disappointed with his performance. And that's why I still do enjoy Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, that, that connection to the, to the previous two films was what sort of did it for me. If they'd have had a new character or, you know, an older Lex or an older Tim was because they'd been to the island and this was 10, 15 years. You know, if they'd have found some weird way of trying to draw people in, then fair enough. But no, having that connection to the original film, um, the piece about the raptors in Jurassic Park 3 with the... I mean, the dream sequence, it gets criticised for seeing the raptor talking and it's in his, it's a dream. He's dreaming it. They're not actually having talking raptors. They, ex- they explore the you know the potential of communication between them, calling for help, pack hunters, this, that, and the other. And I like that, and I just think it gets a lot of criticism when it doesn't deserve it. Like you say, as a story, yeah, there's questions over it, but what they delivered, I think, was cracking. I really enjoyed it. So we've got Jurassic Park there. Now, we were planning on... I mean, we, I reached out to you because we were planning on doing an episode with Jurassic World, talking about Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom. Um, and you know what? I don't think there's any better time. So should we have a should we sit and have a chat about those two now in in anticipation of uh, Dominion starting filming again? Sure, let's do it. Okay. Um, I will say that when they first announced Jurassic World was happening, I was actually nervous. Really? Yes, because it had been a long time since Jurassic Park three. Yeah, uh, it, like, it had been like almost 15 years. Yeah, something like that. And my biggest concern was, uh, is this like necessary? Do we need another? Do we really need to have another film? I mean, because more importantly, it was the four, it was going to be the fourth film in this franchise. And I was like, fourth films don't 
usually go very well. So I will admit that I was nervous when they first announced they were doing another one. I I was really looking forward to it. it. So again, it's one of those franchises. When I heard that it was going to be an open, the park was open and it's going to be exploring that, I, I, I was so looking forward to it. I was there, you know, opening weekend um, and I wasn't disappointed. I really wasn't. Looking back on it, I think they do very cleverly what they did with Force Awakens and New Hope in Star Wars. I think they rebooted the franchise while making a sequel, and I think they also remade the first film just with a few different bells and whistles on. It was still the concept of the owner, for whatever reason, wanted to make this park for for enjoyment, and he was stretching beyond his means of what was capable, and obviously we know what happened in the film. And I just think that it was very clever how they managed to reinvigorate this franchise by just basically doing the same concept again. Is this where you tell me that I'm wrong and this is why? Exactly the opposite. Because here's the thing. I was nervous and I said, you know what? This is going to happen regardless of how I feel. So I'm going to wait for a trailer. I'm going to wait for some more story. I'm going to wait for more uh, pictures or anything. And when the first trailer was released, the first thing that happened was I watched the trailer and then I just sat there for like, I think maybe three minutes just staring at the computer my wife came by and said, are you okay? And I looked at her and I said, that is one of the best trailers I have ever seen in my life. And from then on, I was excited. I was thrilled because everything that I saw made me love the, fall in love with the movie even more. I thought Colin Trevorrow, he seems like he did a great job. Then I saw the film on opening night and... I was not disappointed either. I thought, oh my God, this is great. This is a great film. I mean, it's just amazing. I had a great time watching it and I'm very happy that this film was made now. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be jumping around all over through the film, but it it absolutely, like I say, it hit the nail on the head in being able to show the park operating, how you, you know, this is what Jurassic Park originally teased. And And to have the capabilities now with generated effects and whatnot to be able to deliver that now i think is yeah is absolutely right time if they'd done this film 15 years ago it might have looked a bit ropey and it would have dated quite quickly like jurassic park 3 has so i'm glad they've left it um it's the human characters for me like i mentioned before they're the ones that drive i think that that's what god the godzilla remakes have really suffered from lately by having human characters that you can't engage with you don't actually care if anything happens to them and with owen and claire and the two kids who i always forget the names of jurassic world actually has a really good human element to it i agree with you on that one because i said before that dr alan grant by played by sam neill is one of my favorite characters well the truth is uh, owen grady played by chris pratt he's <laughs> another favorite of mine and i actually i knew i knew all about chris pratt before the film was going to come out. And I had seen him in a lot of the comedies he had done beforehand. And then I saw him in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was like, oh, whoa, Star-Lord is going to be in this film? I mean, really? And uh, the one thing that really got me was he's always played comedic roles. Yeah. But Jurassic World was like one of the first movies where he played a serious character. Like it was a serious character in an action film or an adventure film. And he he just did it proves that he can do anything like really it does i think his i think his acting is great i love bryce dallas howard uh, i'm yeah. fully aware fully aware of all her works before this and i'm like oh really they got bryce dallas howard oh this this sounds like it's an all-star cast honestly it sounds really good and then of course we have bd wong coming back to his dr Wu, and i'm like whoa that's an obscure reference but that's gonna be pretty cool he gets a bigger role because I know in Crichton's original novel, Dr. Wu is a much bigger character, and I kind of felt the first Jurassic Park, for all my love for it, didn't do his character justice. So giving B.D. Wong this chance to explore the Dr. Wu character a little more was really appealing as well. So, yes, the humans and the characters in the Jurassic films, I know there is some criticism about them, but... Truthfully, I think that the Jurassic films have actually done it very well with the types of movies they are. And Jurassic World definitely had a great cast and great characters. For me, for me with Chris, we'll start with Chris Pratt as Owen. 
I think now looking back from what you've just said there about the comedic thing, I suppose I didn't even I didn't even realise until now. Yeah, I didn't want comedy Chris Pratt. I didn't want Star Lord running around with dinosaurs. You, the trailer had the shot of him riding the bike with the dinosaurs, and I thought, is this going to be two Guardians of the Galaxy? Are they going to go too far? And that opening scene where he's he's performing the training with Blue and Delta and all the, and he's showing that dominance. He's showing that steel of an action hero rather than the comedy chops. And I think it just showed another side to him, which showed that was... And then I think at that moment, I'm kind of like, okay, this is this is badass Chris Pratt. We've got him turning up for the day. That'll do. Um, Claire, Bryce Dallas Howard, I think that character of, you know, the aunt, the aunt who has lost the nephews and dedicated to a job, it's a story trope that's used time and time again, but everybody can relate to it. How many times have you put off a loved one because of work? And you relate to that, so I don't care. But the the fact you were running around in high heels, I didn't even click. It didn't mean anything. I think there's a lot of people out there that find a, an excuse to have a moan about something. Um, and Vincent D'Onofrio is a is a firm favourite of mine, and having him as that uh, as that sort of side villain, you know, your main villain is your dinosaur, but you've got to have a human bad guy in there somewhere. And D'Onofrio is fantastic. I'm going to ask, quickly ask you about. Uh, Woo. Um, so in Jurassic World, and spoiler alert, Fallen Kingdom, he's obviously starts showing himself to be more ruthless in his science, shall we say. He's more prepared to take the money and do the questionable ethical thing, unethical things. Is Were those actions laid down in the novel? Could you see that happening? Was he that kind of character, or was he just the science guy that everybody loved and listened to? I'm going to try and not give too much away because the biggest thing I tell people is read Jurassic Park, the novel, read the novel, because I've met people who have only ever seen the film. And they've never, some people don't even know it's based on a novel. And I always tell people like, come on, no, read the book. You have to read the book. So I try not to give too much away about that. That's fine. We won't. It seems like you can always spoil books because they've been out for 30 years, but I know you, you realize that probably everybody's seen the film rather than read it. So sorry, go on. But um, with Dr. Wu's character, uh, in the films, we see him having a darker side and more of a very, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, but it's more of a lot, a cold logic almost. And that's actually how it is in the novel too. Wu's character, the thing I like most is that in the films, it doesn't look like Wu sees himself as a bad guy. You know, he doesn't think that he what he's doing is wrong. He doesn't think that he's a villain. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with what he is doing. And that's actually very close to the novel, too. It's like, Wu doesn't think he's bad. To him, it's just all about the work. It's about what he's doing. And that's why I also like in Fallen Kingdom, hmm. just to touch on that a bit, when he's very upset that this uh, sort of almost watered-down version of his work is going to get out there and be made public, and he's upset about it. Like, that's really spot on you know that really is a lot like the character in the book so yeah i think jurassic world and fallen kingdom and hopefully we'll see a continuing dominion will continue to see that evolution so back to jurassic world then in terms of so the um indo oh, god forgive me my I mean, indosaurus rex is that right indo it's the dominus rex I didn't read the uh, the PR brochure that InGen kindly put forward, but it was. Um, I, I think they had to go bigger and badder. It had to be the ultimate that predator, didn't it? The ultimate dinosaur. And um, again, what's what's your thoughts on how they went along that route, it, taking the clone into another level where they make collages and Mr. Potato Head a dinosaur? What's your thought on that? In truth, I think that's one of the reasons why I really like Jurassic World, because there's a line of dialogue that Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Claire, says, nobody is impressed anymore with a dinosaur. And while, of course, I don't agree, I don't think <laughs> you agree, and I'm sure a lot of people don't agree, <laughs> it, it does make sense. Because here's the thing, like when Jurassic Park came out, seeing a dinosaur was magic. Like seeing it, you know, we were kind of like, whoa, awesome. But nowadays, after we've had all these other films, we've had the Godzilla reboots, we've had Star Wars, we've had um, all the Marvel movies, and it's kind of like, okay, well, what's so special about this 
what's so special about this anymore? And then, you know, she says later on, people want them bigger, badder, more teeth. And I thought to myself, you know, she, I mean, this is a bit of philosophy here with how people think nowadays. She's right. And I, the biggest thing about it was, you know, with a fourth movie, it's like, where can you go from there? And then somebody came, I don't know who it was that came up with the idea. I know it was Colin Trevorrow. I don't know if it was the writers, but then somebody said, what if we had somebody actually genetically splice dinosaur DNA together and make a dinosaur, a creature that's made up of different dinosaurs. And it's like, uh, actually that's pretty smart. That's brilliant because with all the technology they had, why couldn't they do that? And it seems like the best way to come up with a, you know, sort of a villain of sorts in a movie. It's a really good idea. So I thought that the whole idea of making the Indominus Rex was really brilliant. And the thing I loved most about it was the advertising campaign did its best not to show us what it looked like before the movie. They really tried their hardest to not show us, you know, too much of it. It was almost like the original Jurassic Park trailers where they tried to not show too much of the dinosaurs before you saw the movie. And with Jurassic World, that's what they were doing. So you were kind of almost left wondering, like, do I want to see this movie just to know what the Indominus Rex looks like? And you do, and I think that's where they went wrong with going back to Jurassic Park 3. I'm, I'm almost sure that trailer had the, sh- the full-on shot of the Spiniosaurus with the phone ringing in its belly. Full-on at the end of the trailer, and you're just like, well, there's, there's the gag, there's the joke, there's the dinosaur, we don't, where, there, where's the wonder? And they went right back to that, and Trevor, Trevor excuse me, um, absolutely nailed it for me. It, it really did. In terms of dinosaur action then um it got his criticism because there were too much cgi only because jurassic park and world to that in fact the lost world as well did so well with the animatronics such lifelike um creations put to film that were actually physical things there in front of you and that the actors can interact with not just a tennis ball on a, on a stick um they did a little bit of that in jurassic world but to me I'd like to see more of it, don't get me wrong, but only if it's done right. And if it doesn't look great, then don't bother doing it. Use CGI. I agree with you, actually, 100%. As a film student, uh, the one thing I will always say is if you can do something with practical effects, do it. Don't just say, oh, I can do that later in post with CGI, or I can do that later you know, emit, just make effects or, you know, something like that. No, if you can do it practically, like if there is a logical way to do it, I, I agree. Do it that way. Do the it. And why American werewolf in London is still the best werewolf film. And the reason why the thing is still one of the most terrifying horror films, because these things were created in front of you and on, on that. Yeah. I'm just a big, big, um, advocate of sort of using animatronics and puppetry and I, I would say every day of the week if you can have something for me even going as far as thing for fantastic four if you can get a decent enough looking costume do it use a bit of cgi to you know put a few rocks crumbling off and things but if you can have somebody there in the suit great but i'd choose that over cgi so so we we're gonna spoil Jurassic World a bit. If you haven't seen it by now, then you've, you've, you're missing out, to be honest. Go and watch Jurassic World and come back and carry on listening. So the dinosaur action then. So we're talking the um, the Indominus Rex obviously getting out. It's still got that sort of T-Rex, um, you know, this giant creature going around, but then you've still got sort of the raptors in there. You, and they're being... For me, the twist was when it was... Um, you found it had raptor DNA and it had been spliced with Raptor, and that was kind of the thing that they were just holding back on saying all the way through. Um, That relationship between Grady, the Raptors, and the Indominus was probably the most compelling relationship in the whole film, to be honest. You know what? I agree with you. I know there was some criticism about the the idea of trained Raptors. You know, some people have... Some people have been saying, you know, I don't like trained raptors. I like the raptors to be scary. I want them to be menaces. But the more I look at it, I'm like, you know, first off, it was incredible when they revealed that there's a guy who's trained raptors. All right. Let's just all sit down for a minute and reflect on that. It was awesome to hear that that had happened. It's a really good idea. And 
you're right. It's a very complicated relationship. We got to see in the film, especially if don't want to give too much away of what happens. Yes. But I think that especially with his relationship with blue, which they explore more in fallen kingdom. I think it's really well done. I think it's a fantastically written subplot into all these, into these dress, into the Jurassic world films. And, you know, I love it. I mean, raptors are actually my favorite dinosaurs. I love the raptors. Ever since I saw Jurassic park, they've been my favorites. And, you know, seeing this, I was like, you know what? I love it. It's great. Triceratops for me. That was that was always the daddy. I had the um, the Jurassic Park, you know, the toy, and it had like a a piece that you can take out of the Jurassic, the Triceratops back. We could never afford the T Rex. I was never allowed that. That was too much. But I had the t- uh, Triceratops and the cars and stuff like that. Um, okay, we won't say too much about. Obviously, there's the third act, and I've got to say, I love a hero moment a punch the air moment and Claire with the, the flare and what she does after that point and what comes from that, I thought absolutely made that film. I really did. I think that was something they held back on throughout the whole act one and two because they knew what was going to happen in at that moment. You know what? I think, uh, I, you know, it's hard to talk about this without giving any, spoiler, any spoilers here, so I do apologize. But you're right; they were definitely holding back on that because the truth is, we were all waiting for that to happen. Like we go this whole movie seeing the Raptors, seeing the Indominus Rex, seeing the Pteranodons, and you know, seeing new animals like the Mosasaurus, who's my second favorite, by the way. Right. Um, but like we were all waiting for that one dinosaur we all love who made that franchise since the first movie to show up. So when the dialogue goes to, (laughs) when she goes to the pen, when she goes to the pen and she lets the T-Rex out, you know, and we hear, we not only see the T-Rex approach and we hear the Jurassic park theme playing as it walks forward. You're kind of like, yes, yes, yes. Because it's almost like a prize. You wait this whole movie for to see it. And then the one thing that I also love is it doesn't disappoint. Like, she doesn't just let the T-Rex out, and it's a very quick type thing. Kind of like in Jurassic Park 3 with the T-Rex and the Spinosaurus, where it was very quick. Yeah. With the T-Rex and the Indominus Rex, and then eventually we get the we get Blue and the Mosasaurus in there, too. In truth, the way they handle that, it's honestly my favorite final... I, I call it the final boss battle. And it's my favorite final boss battle of any movie. I've got my notes written as final dino showdown. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you want to see. You, you, you got to see a film about dinosaurs. You want to see dinosaurs fighting and scrapping and everything. Um, so yeah, Jurassic World. Yeah, absolutely love it. Got it on 3D, whatever. I'll be getting on 4K. I think it's... Fantastic, fully deserved. But just in terms of callbacks, sorry, there's one more thing I wanted to say in terms of callbacks. Claire running with the flare, um, sort of calling back to Malcolm running away from in the first one, and it's showing her more in that sort of action sense and stuff. And just what you mentioned there about uh, Owen training the Raptors. Robert Muldoon is a great character, such a quotable character, and he wouldn't dare go near a raptor he he respected them but he he didn't even have it in him and we all think he's a badass and he didn't have it in him to even attempt to train a raptor so it's showing you that sort of level of danger and how badass owen grady is to have to go in there with them and train them themselves yep and i mean and that's always like one of those things people call back to because they're like, oh, Muldoon said they're untrainable, they're violent killing machines. But, you know, the other thing you got to remember, Owen is a badass in his own right, too, because um, the biggest thing of all was what he also tells Claire, like, these aren't, these are animals. You know, Muldoon was making the raptors out to be monsters, you know, with how, yeah, he respected them, but to him, they were all monsters. And even he says it in the first Jurassic Park, he says, they should all be destroyed. Yep. First line. First thing he says. Uh, well, after shoot her, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> but even so, like Owen had, Owen had, I think he has that level of respect and going, 
these are just animals. They're not monsters. We have a, and we have a relationship, you know, and I've worked with them a whole life and I know that they're just animals. And in a weird way that almost harkens back to Steven Spielberg and what he first said when he made Jurassic Park, he, when he was designing the dinosaurs, he said, I don't want movie monsters. I don't want, you know, old school type, you know, monsters that are hell bent on destruction and killing. I want dinosaurs as they originally were. They're animals, you know, granted they've been extinct for millions of years, but they're animals. And Owen embodies that. And it doesn't make him any less of a badass when he trains these raptors and, you know, still manages to be this real, you know, awesome action hero too. It's almost giving him more depth. So uh, and I've, that's just how I look at it. I can't remember the I can't remember the the poor woman's name, but let's just let's just end on uh, remembering Claire's assistant that was tasked with spending the whole afternoon running around after two teenage boys. <laughs> the most undignified exit. I don't think she did anything wrong, did she, apart from spend a lot of her time tweeting? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I love more, don't get me wrong, I love more Mosasaur scenes. I always love Mosasaurus. <laughs> but even so, yeah, I'm kind of like, uh, all right, you know, hey, you know, wait a... <laughs> I just feel any sort of... Trevor went to sort of a young, like his nephew, and just went, right, how should we kill her? Oh, let's get her attacked by pterodactyls, and then carry her off. And then get bitten by the monster, and then drowned, and then and it just feels like it keeps going and going and going. But uh, it's, it's obviously something that we keep talking about to this day. Um, no, fantastic Jurassic World. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. So, Fallen Kingdom. I I think we might fall out over this one. We've done so well up to now, and I. Think- We've been, we've been agreeing on an awful lot, but I've got a feeling that it might go south quite quickly. Why, why don't you tell me what you feel about this film first? So uh, when they first announced they were doing a sequel to Jurassic World, I mean, it was almost kind of a given they were going to do a sequel with how well the first one did. What was it, 1.6 billion? Uh, I don't even... I, it was crazy. I don't even think, that, I don't even, I think that's low compared to what it did make. I don't really... Honestly, I can't remember, but... When they announced they were doing a sequel, I was on board because as I originally said too, I was very skeptical about Jurassic World at first because I didn't know if it would be, you know, the kind of film that we necessarily wanted, but I was proven wrong with that. So I thought to myself, you know what? Jurassic World was really good. I could go for a sequel. So why not? I'm going to keep an open mind about it. And the thing about Fallen Kingdom is that you have to go into a movie kind of a lot of the times, and this is me speaking as a film student, you have to go in a lot of the times with an open mind about film because you having expectations is kind of what ruins movies for you. Sometimes you ha- you build up these expectations and when a film doesn't meet those expectations, you're naturally disappointed. Yeah. So with fallen kingdom, what I said was, you know what? I just want to see a movie with dinosaurs you know, on the island, I want to see them doing what they do in a Jurassic film, you know? And when they also said, oh, we're getting Claire, we're getting Owen back, and, you know, we have new characters too, but the first thing that clicked with me was, oh, this is not totally like, you know, the other Jurassic Park sequels. They're continuing the same story without trying to, you know, they they obviously had to come with new things, but they're also saying, we're continuing this story, we got the same actors, they're going to play the same roles, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm okay with that. That's actually one perk to me of the film. Because as we said too, I love these two characters and I think their relationship, which is the cornerstone of these films is really good. Yeah. And uh, with Fallen King, they said, and we're getting a horror director or a director who's known for doing horror. I'm like, you know what? Have at thee. I think it's a great idea to get a director who does horror, you know, because let's, Let's face it, the first Jurassic Park film scared a lot of kids Yeah, and it was released in 1993. So I think the idea that let's treat this almost kind of like a horror movie. I'm like, you know what? That's a great idea too. Um, I think the only real disappointment I had with Fallen Kingdom was the marketing. Right, okay, that's interesting. Because the biggest issue I had was the trailers, the TV spots, they just gave too much away. Yeah. I mean, yes, 
we have, you know, we already knew what the villain, we already knew the next villainous dinosaur was going to be, you know, because they, they showed that in the trailer. They didn't even try to hide it like they did with the Indominus Rex. And we saw a lot of what happens in the movie on the island in the trailers. And I was just like, oh, you know what? I feel like the trailer gave away like two thirds of the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still enjoyed Fallen Kingdom because, as I said, I went in there with an open mind, just wanting to see a really, you know, just wanting to see an enjoyable Jurassic film. And I wasn't disappointed. I was like, you know what? Fallen Kingdom isn't perfect, but I still enjoyed it. I just wish they had kept more surprises, you know? For me, it was two movies attached together. And we saw a lot of the best movie in the trailers on the island. Um if you'd have had a movie which was this volcano is going to erupt within the next week, we need to get all the animals off. And you, you have the confliction of, should we let them die? Should we save them? What happens if we do? You know, that kind of moral conundrum. Have the old characters come back? They know the island. They know the way around. They know the process. So that's an excuse to get them back. And yeah, it does turn into a bit of a Lost World kind of remake then, which is it falls into that trap. But it's still... There's a core of a good film there. And for me, as soon as they got off that island, I mean, it, that brachiosaur shot on the pier, and I know they were just going for the heartstrings, but Jesus, I, I, I was cutting onions in the cinema at that time because my eyes were just weeping. I'm looking, I'm like, that's the first dinosaur that I loved. The brachiosaur, I'm seeing it and it's about to die. No, it's, it was horrendous. And as soon as they got off the island um, and, it, and it turned into a different film, and, and I was very disappointed. I, I saw this in 4DX. It was the first film I've seen in 4DX. And I've never seen another one since. If I want somebody just to drizzle water on me and blow in my face while I'm watching a film, honestly, it was like being on a roller coaster ride with water. I mean, you can imagine that final act where it's outside in the rain and there's just drizzle coming from the ceiling. You sat there indoors watching a film. Oh, it's horrendous. No, I, I'm never going to get a job selling for 4DX for Cineworld, am I? Um, but yeah, as soon as, as soon as it went to the mansion, I, I sort of started switching off a bit. And by the way, I am going to be mentioning spoilers for Fallen Kingdom. So it's on Netflix. If, again, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But we're going to be talking spoilers. So in terms of the story then, we talked about um, Wu earlier and his um, not wanting to release a watered-down version. I assume you mean the auction scene. Yes, exactly. The auction scene with... We're in spoiler country right now with the Indoraptor. Yep. That's definitely what I was talking about. This, um, so the, the company have managed to basically make a miniature version, a, a, a handbag version, <laughs> like a chihuahua of an Indominus Rex that made an Indoraptor. Everything you love, half the size. And now they're <laughs> it off. So, yeah, sorry, the auction scene. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's great insight into Wu. You know, it definitely goes more into his character from the novels, which I really liked. And I think B.D. Wong is doing a very good job. Yeah. Like he's doing a fantastic job as Wu. Um, and that auction scene is just, it's a very powerful scene because you're seeing uh, not only his, the, uh, the watered down version of his work, which he's upset about and gives more in depth into his character. You're also seeing, you know, sort of how people treat these animals. And I'm kind of like, you know, it's, you want to believe this is just something in the movies, but in truth, this is kind of how I would see things in real life. You know, this is how people are going to treat, you know, these animals if it ever came to a situation like this. And that's why I think even though the scenes at the mansion are, you know, like you said, it almost feels like two movies that got squashed into one. Mm -hmm. And even though the scenes at the mansion are, I don't think either as entertaining as the ones on the island, I still think the scenes at the mansion are really good. Okay. I, I think the good, don't get me wrong, it's a very well-made film, J.A.B. Um, Bayona. The, what attracted me, what got me excited was because he did The Impossible, which was the tsunami, Boxing Day tsunami film. Um, we can talk about the cultural appropriation all day long, but the fact is it was a f very harrowing film. It was a very well-shot film, very well-made for a, a relatively sort of up-and-coming director. And A Monster Calls, have you, ever, have you seen A Monster Calls? I have not had the chance to. Young boy who is um, dealing with um, his sick mother. And as he goes out, he envisages this monster, which is a tree in the form of a tree. It's like a giant fiery Groot. 
with the voice of Liam Neeson. And again, I'm not ashamed to say I, I bawled like a baby at the end of that film because of the relationships in it. It, it sounds daft as a monster horror film, but it was very much a, a boy's relationship with his parents and things. And, and I could see that transferred into Fallen Kingdom. I was excited for that. And it, the first part of it felt like we're going to do the action scenes on the island. We're going to do the action scenes. We're going to do the, the volcano erupting. We're going to do the stampedes. We're going to get all that out, get it out of the system. And when you said there about the Fallen Kingdom, how would this happen in real life? Well, when it was sort of some rich mansion with lots of wealthy rich people and you've got sheikhs and you've got Russian czars and oligarchs in this room, and I just thought, no, that's how, that's how some guy in Hollywood thinks this thing happened in like basements under mansions. I, I wanted it to be more clinical let's have them selling them to governments let's have you know have it it could have gone it felt very fantastical to me the it, the scenes were fantastic it was very you know there was the scariness there but it, it just lost me and again big spoiler coming up the human cloning um piece that switched off i, I yeah I, I got lost at that point i was like I want to see my dinosaurs get cloned. I don't want to see a film about dinosaurs. I, I don't want it to start doing human cloning. What about you? So, uh, honestly, that part didn't bother me at all because it almost it almost was like, okay, so we can clone dinosaurs. Why can't we clone humans? Why can't we clone other animals? Why can't we clone, you know... Uh, why can't we clone endangered species if we can clone bring extinct animals back to life? So when they said, oh, hey, what about a human clone? It suddenly, it clicked with me like, you know, in reality, I'm pretty sure somebody would have tried that with this technology because it's like saying, okay, we have the technology. The only thing stopping us now is the, eth the uh, ethnical conundrums. Yeah. But to have that show up and say, well, somebody just kind of bypassed that and did and like, well, I mean, hey, that is really how I would see something like that going. If you could do it and somebody wanted to do it, then why wouldn't they do it, so to speak? So, and you also have to, I think, keep in mind too, that a lot of the times we want, we do want similar things in a film. You know, we want dinosaurs, we want the island, we want, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, so to speak. But then you also have to do something new with a sequel and I go and I felt like the whole thing with the human clone that was new and so it kept me it, it kept me interested me anyways interested when I saw when I found out about that plot point I was like okay well this is a little interesting because it's different it's not the same thing that we always see in these films so okay I'm actually okay with this well to do something with it I Cormac gets sick of me going back to Star Wars with Rise of Skywalker, but the, the the thing I hate most about Rise of Skywalker is they took such a gamble with Last Jedi in putting out themes and storylines and uh, twists in storylines which were controversial, but they didn't follow through with it. They backtracked on so much. And I want them to see them carry on with this now. So I, I don't want them to see them just forget about it. Just never mention you. You know, don't ever never mention it again in the sequel. Let's let's see what we're going to have: clones of soldiers or whatever, or dino human clones. There's going to be something along. I just hope they they have the courage of the convictions to go through with it. With the, the, when you mentioned about the marketing with Ian Malcolm, there was a lot given away with his return, and again, there was a lot of disappointment that he wasn't utilised as much as I think the marketing was giving on. Yeah, and they did, I mean, this is one of those things where, again, I follow production very closely, and they did say that Jeff Goldblum would not be a big character, even though he was returning for the film, and he wouldn't be really involved. He wasn't going to the island again. He wasn't going to do any of the stunts or anything like that, and, you know, that's why I felt when I saw his scenes, I was like, okay, you know, I get why this is his role in the film, but again too, the marketing like you also said you know i think that that gave away what he was there for too much it almost would have been nice to not know he was in the film yeah and then just see it and then i would have been like whoa yeah malcolm wow but we already knew he was there and we again the trailers and everything gave away what he was doing do you so, think do you 
think it sold that many more tickets. Do you think he's that big of a name just saying Jeff Goldblum's going to turn up in this one? There must be some marketing guru that's sat in Hollywood somewhere who has all the stats on this, who knows exactly what to do. But do you think they'll have made that much more money by having him show up? But I agree. I, I think that is probably what happened. They really realized, like, we got to say something that will get people interested. And then somebody somewhere said, hey, we have Jeff Goldblum in the film. Why don't we say he's coming back? And that will get people you know, interested. Because a big thing with the Jurassic World movies, both Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, is they do deal with a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. Especially for those of us like myself, you, and millions of others worldwide who grew up with Jurassic Park and all these movies, you know, nostalgia is a big thing with us. So to announce that one of the original cast was coming back, I'm sure that did help the marketing and help the sales. Again, I do wish they had kept it a secret. It would have been just an amazing surprise to see, especially since he's at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Just to hear his voice in a voiceover, you'd kind of just been sat in the cinema like, is that, is that you, Malcolm? Well, I get, yeah, you would be. Yeah, I think that would have been a, a great moment. I'm, I'm just looking here. What else have I got here? It's, uh, yeah, look, I'm, my notes are fairly limited on Fallen Kingdom, I'm totally honest. I, I, I think I was more disappointed. You, you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of film fans out there that, that pretty much build the film up in their head before it comes out. And then when it's not what they've got in the head, see also uh, Batman versus Superman and Justice League and Last Jedi. You know what I mean? You keep studios are very good about building up expectations, and then when it doesn't meet those, or even if it's just as good but deviates from those expectations, you've already conditioned yourself to believe that it's wrong. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's why I tell people like when you go into a film. Don't have like really high expectations. Don't think you know everything. Don't try to um, just to try not to have this big grand vision. Just go in there and try to have a good time. Go in there expecting. So this is a certain. This is a Star Wars movie. It's a Jurassic movie. It's a Marvel movie. Just go in there with that and say, all right. Well, you know what? Let's just see what it is. Let's not have. Let's not try and have like big hopes riding on this film. Let's just go and enjoy a movie. Just go and enjoy a film about dinosaurs. Exactly. <laughs> and so there's Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, but next year, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, all of the superstitions, we're going to have the third of these trilogies, Dominion, um, coming out. What, what do we know so far? You've probably kept closer tabs on this than I have. What, what do we know about Dominion? Well, first off, we know that we talked about how we don't want them to drop story points just because we feel like they fail. We know that um, the actress, uh, I, I'm very, I'm sorry to say I'm very bad with names, but the actress who plays Maisie. Yes. Um, she is returning. So they're not dropping that plot point completely with her being a clone. I'm sure that may or may not work into the film somehow. Uh, we know that Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard are returning. So again, they're continuing that story from Jurassic World, which I mean, like I said before, I'm always very invested in because I think it's a great story. Uh, we know that the, we know Jeff Goldblum is coming back. We know that Sam Neill is returning, Laura Dern. They're all coming back from, and it'll be the first time since Jurassic Park that all three of them have been together in the film, which is really exciting. And again, building up that nostalgia factor, but uh, they also said they're going to be big key players in the film. So it won't be like in Fallen Kingdom where Malcolm is just, you know, lecturing. It's, they're going to be a big part of the film. So that's exciting. Yeah, that is. I'm just looking on IMDb here. Um, there's a couple of actors. I'm not, they don't have a character name yet. So I'm assuming they're somebody's daughter, son, sister, brother, whatever. But Jake Johnson's back. He was, um, he was that sort of main sort of nostalgia point in Jurassic World, wasn't he? He was the sort of, connecting the old pack to the new with the t-shirt and it, uh, Claire thought it was kind of in bad taste because it was wearing sort of a t-shirt of um, where it, what basically was a zoo accident <laughs> happened and he was honouring that. Um, Laura Dern's back, yeah. Um, Campbell Scott, um, him of many things that uh, the only thing I can remember him is Roger Dodger, which I thought was excellent in that. Him and uh, young Jesse Eisenberg back in like 2009, three that came out but that's really great um 
he's back as Lewis Dodson, who was what was the name of his company then? He he was the guy in the pink shirt at the beginning of um, Jurassic Park. Back with it wasn't it? Yeah, they don't uh, mention it in the film, in the first film, but in he actually is a character in uh, Michael Crichton's novels, and okay. the company he works for is called Biosyn. Right. So he right. he was attempting to buy these samples. So we're talking by the time this comes out, that'll be what thirty years ago. So he live. Uh, so something's been going on. Which again, those kind of links I'm excited about. I think if you can, you bring him back the original three heroes. You bring him back the the one of the original sort of and not an an antagonist, whoever. But you know, you bring him back a connection to the first trilogy. Um, Omar Sy's back as sort of Owen's uh, Owen's. Assistant, handler, animal. They were more partners. They were friends. Yeah. Know, together. And Justice Smith as Franklin Webb. So there's the connection to the second one as well. He was again. I think his uh, his screaming was more great in me than anything at the end of Fallen Kingdom. But um, he was very good in uh, Detective Pikachu. And I think if they can get that Justice Smith into the film and not. Screaming Justin Smith. Justice Smith will have will have fun with that. So we we know the cast. Do we know anything about the story? Has there been anything? There's nothing on IMDb. But I mean, if okay, if there's been leaks, we don't want to know leaks. But has anything been sort of hinted at as to where this is going to sit? Uh, well, we are getting into spoiler country again because, of course, there's the ending of Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, where we know what happens with the dinosaurs. And uh, Colin Trevorrow has gone on, has basically told us, you know, that's not, that that ending wasn't chosen on accident. It's definitely going to be a key point with uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Right. Okay. And of course we also have, you know, the dinosaurs, like we talked about, were auctioned off and are now global. Yep. And uh, I know that Colin Trevorrow has mentioned what's going to happen when we have Dr. Wu, who is now not the only person who can clone a dinosaur, which... You know, at some point, that technology was going to be, you know, mass produced, which I can see as a good plot point. Yeah, definitely. And of course, we also, like you said, we have Dotson returning, and we know his company, Biosyn, has been kind of working behind the scenes. So who knows where that's going to go to? Uh, you know, if if Dominion opens up with a sort of fifteen years ago kind of thing, and there's somebody just digging around on the original Isla Sauna. Is it Isla Sauna? Isla Nubla? The, the original park. And the shaving can. They just dig up the shaving can for some reason. That'll be like, yeah, that'll link nicely back to the first one. Thank you very much. Do you have, have you ever had um, kids TV show Dino Raiders over there? Uh, Dino Riders. It, does, it sounds familiar. Uh, it does dinosaurs with like uh robotic helmets with lasers and you got um yeah i know what you're talking about people carriers on you know what i mean it's real sort of futuristic dinosaur it's a cool kids thing but again if i want them if they're going to go into sort of using these animals um for for warfare and using them weaponizing them I want them to go all out there. I really do. Just, I really want them to commit to it. I don't just want to see them running through tunnels and running across desert. I want to see them really getting in there and doing sort of crazy stuff and future tech. So, no, I don't. Let's not touch on any more uh, spoilers because we'll end up spoiling somebody. Um, right. Look, I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I appreciate your time. And uh, well, uh, before we wrap it up, did you want to talk about uh, Trespasser really quickly? Yeah, please. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Again, uh, I don't want to say too much earlier because I want people to go and enjoy it, but you tell us as much as you want, you'd want people to know about it. Basically, you know, Trespasser was, it's a student film, so it doesn't have a grand budget or anything like that. I shot it all by myself and, you know, put it together myself and it's a solo production, but I put a lot of passion into it because I was very passionate about the idea that I could make a Jurassic film for film school. So, and the, my professors who were my executive producers in the credits, they supported me. They worked really hard to help me make it the best that it could be. My wife and my dog were amazing, you know, to put up with me, you know, living a dream of, of being involved with the Jurassic film. So um, the big thing, though, about Trespasser is I wanted to show that uh, you can make a great Jurassic film without giving too much away. And I did the absolute best that I could to make it a, suspense, a suspenseful film yeah. where, you know, it's 
you don't even see a dinosaur, but you hint that dinosaurs are there. And, you know, I use, I tried to use a lot of my, a lot of, as my professor actually called them, Steven Spielberg techniques okay. to hint at them. And he helped me a lot with that. And I think it turned out really well. So yeah, with Trespasser, it's a very personal project. I'm very close to it. And I'm very glad that I was able to release it to everybody and everybody can see it. So please, like, yeah, like you said, if people can go check it out, please do. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put links on his Twitter and everything. We're going to get it shared around. And like I said, I don't want to mention too much about it. I think when it's somebody's, your, here I am spoiling uh, Fallen Kingdom and spoiling Jurassic World. But when it comes to your YouTube video, I'm like, no, I don't want to spoil anything. No, go and watch it. it how long did it take? Because I made a film, uh, rather embarrassingly, I, I I tried to make the history of France in five minutes. And I made a film back in uni. This was in 2004. Um, it, it was suggested that it was a little racist towards French people, which was my own misunderstanding of the situation. But that took me probably about a week to film five minutes of footage. You're obviously did a much more professional job on that. So what was the shooting schedule? Was it, did you get it done in a couple of nights? Was it over the course of a week? So it actually took me a month. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It took me a month because uh, in following a actual film production slate, I had pre-production, which took me two weeks. I made a shot list. I plotted out a story. I made a script. Um, I looked at location and looked at what resources I had. And then, The actual shooting took, I want to say like about three, maybe four days to actually shoot the, the shoot the short film. Um, I then made a rough cut of the film, had my professors slash producers look at it, give me some feedback and they made suggestions and we did shoot reshoots. You know, those took about two days to do. And then I did some editing techniques and some effects techniques also that took me an additional I want to say like an additional day or two. And then of course I had to put the film together with editing, but given that I'm specialized in editing, that was the best part for me. It didn't take that long. That's the big, yeah. Yeah. It took about a month for me to make the short film. And was it for, um, was it part of your, part of your work, part of your course? Have you been graded on it? Do we get to know the grade or is it, is it still awaiting uh, or is that something you're never going to tell us? I'll tell you, I got an A. Get in. Well done. Well done. Fully, fully deserved. Absolutely fully deserved. Have you had anybody from the, the franchise, you know, have you had anybody see it? Have you had any recognition from sort of anybody who's worked on the other films? Uh, sadly, no. I don't think Colin Trevorrow or Chris Pratt or Sam Neill have seen it. I really, I really would like them to see it. Just, you know, to tell me what they think. I mean, if they ended up thinking it's amateur or they hate it, I'll take that too. <laughs> but I mean, if they get the opportunity just to, you know, take a couple minutes, look at it and tell me what they think. I mean, that would be really awesome. It would be great to have that. I'm not saying we've got Sam Neill and Chris Pratt as listeners. I hope we do, but I'm not saying we do. But Sam Sam Neill, again, you'll be glad Cormac's not here with us because Sam Neill came from the same town that Cormac's from. So they'll probably know each other's uncles, cousins, brothers, dogs, roommates or something. I don't know. So what's, have you got any other plans, any other films sort of lined up? Have you got any other ideas swimming around that you want to do? Well, honestly, after doing this, um, after doing this short, the funny thing is people have actually asked me if I intend to make more. Uh, people have, you know, said, we want to see another one. We want to see more of these. And I think there's a lot of story potential there. Uh, currently, I don't have anything planned, unfortunately. I'm, you know, I'm then focusing on my studies and I've moved on to other courses that this is not a speciality in. But I definitely, if, you know, the demand is there and people want to see more, I'm more than happy to do it on my own time to like, you know, plot something out and use the resources I have and, you know, make another if that's what everybody wants to see. So tell us where we can find um, your YouTube channel and your Twitter and tell us everybody where we can connect with you online. So uh, my YouTube channel is, it's actually just my name, Ryan Green, because I'm trying to treat it as professionally as possible. Uh, My Twitter is rfgreen85. Uh, So is my uh, Instagram also. Oh, actually, my Instagram is actually dinolover85 or (laughs) dinolover1985. But um, I put, you know, as much as I can up there for my other works too. And yeah, so look me up and check out my work. Brilliant. Spot on. Well, look, I'm... uh... 
I, I very much I'll get that linked in and get everybody and please go and have a look at uh, Trespasser because I, I really appreciate people who with all due respect take very little and in terms of resources you know we're not talking 100 million product that's what I mean you you've worked with what you've got and you've created something that is so faithful to what we know and love um i only wish we could have sort of highlighted it more in our uh, uh fan films uh package but um yeah very much please go see trespasser follow ryan on uh, twitter he's follows and we'll do links and things like that um look thank you very much for joining us really appreciate it when uh, dominion comes out do you want to do do you want to do another um sort of a talk through a dominion once it's been released fingers crossed it does <laughs> i think i'll need to see it like three or four times <laughs> you but, that's about a week <laughs> but definitely yes i would love to come back and love to talk with you some more about after i see it and yeah it sounds like a great time so definitely let's put that in the books um hopefully it gets released on time absolutely well no, thanks very much ryan really appreciate that and thanks everybody see you later bye-bye bye